0: I came across this website It's called Classical Music FM. You've, you've seen this website before. Definitely. Or like their post. You know how there's like a dating site for everything? Yeah. There's a date site for musicians. Oh, is there? Yes. It's called Classic FM Romance. I cannot wait. And here's the tagline is find someone on your wavelength. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it, it looks like it's only in the UK. You can sign up for free. You can tell them who you're looking for. And it says, turn that solo into a duet. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I have so many thoughts about this. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what the questionnaire is like. Like, is it this or that? Like Bach or Hindemith? Is it?
1: <laughs> you know what? We know someone who's in the UK. Maybe they'd be willing to go through the process and let us know how it goes.
0: <laughs> If you're in the UK and you are single, consider this and please tell us everything.
1: If you go on there, at least for fun and do the survey, let us know how it
0: goes, I'm
1: dying to know. Yes, please.
0: (laughs) Let us know if you find someone on your wavelength.
1: Welcome to the Viola Centric Podcast. We are two curious violists creating a safe place to have authentic and challenging conversations in the professional music world. I'm Liz.
0: And I'm Steph. Let's jump in the deep end. Just feeling great. Good. (laughs) That's great. Well, you brought the birthday energy. Yeah.
1: It's my birthday, everybody. (laughs) Happy birthday to Liz. (laughs) We're recording on my birthday, which I was thinking about it this morning about the structure of the day I had. And I was realizing that basically in some way I'm going to be interacting with all of my favorite people today. So I'm really glad we're recording on on my birthday. (laughs) Aw. And we got to see each other yesterday, so it was fun.
0: Yeah, in person. That was nice. Yeah, we
1: haven't worked together in a while, so it's like we have to make time for each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: As Becky says, spinach and fries. Spinach
0: and fries. (laughs) I totally forgot about that. We should bring that back around.
1: I really love birthdays. I just do. (laughs) They make me so happy. And I am like one of those geeks who everybody who writes on my Facebook wall, even if it's their perfunctory like... I write everybody back because I just love it so much. It's just so fun to hear from everybody. And so, so yeah, feeling the love. (laughs) Feeling full of love. And just thinking about the whole symbolic nature of another trip around the sun. And Mm -hmm. that's very on brand for me. So I like to have a good amount of time for reflection on my birthday,
0: which today I do. So it's good. I'm so glad that you made that time. For yourself. Thanks. Something I have not been doing for myself lately. <laughs> uh,
1: Likewise. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's hard. Yeah.
1: I got lucky. It's hard. It's hard.
0: How are you feeling? Are you feeling um, the burnout? I'm feeling pretty tired. It was mm-hmm. a rough rehearsal last night. It was like my 11th day in a row or something of having work, not having a full day off. And that was a lot. And I don't think that I ate well beforehand. And it was just... Perfect storm of not taking care of myself really well. <laughs> mm, yeah, but it, it's hard to be upset about because it's all stuff that I love, and I think we've talked about that this before. Yep, about it all being things that you like, but still the cumulative effect is still tiring. Yes,
1: it is. It's hard. I remember saying to myself about three weeks ago, I knew that there were going to be a few weeks in a row that were going to be like we've been talking about together, totally nuts, and. So I had a lot of practices in place to try to keep especially stay grounded. I think that's what happens to me is I just lose that feeling of stability, you know, mm-hmm. because we're all over the place and everything's crazy and then we're tired and I think I've succeeded some days and some days I've felt that familiar like overwhelm of <laughs> just okay It's just one thing to the next, just get up and put on your clothes and go to where you need to go, (laughs) do the things you need to do. And
0: I, that's life, right? It is. I think it's admirable to aspire to be more selective and to have things kind of metered out for your energy Mm -hmm. and stuff. But sometimes it's just the way that it is. This is life. Yes. It's good to have goals. Yes. I started reading The Essentialist. Uh Uh-huh. How's that feeling? I feel like personally attacked whenever I'm reading any page. Every single page. (laughs) It might as well say, Stephanie, do you find yourself having moments of overwhelm? Do you find yourself regretting saying yes to things? Oh, but it could be any of us, any of us like freelancers or gluttons for punishment that way.
1: I felt the exact same way. And actually, when I read it, I actually listened to it the first time and the author narrates it and he's British. And so I just felt like he
0: was scolding me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: that book is incredible.
0: Oh, my God. I just want to like devour it, but slowly. Yes. So that I absorb all the nutrients from the book. I love that
1: that was a good visual Ooh, thanks
0: <laughs> I was making like crafty fingers oh yeah people can't see it I can't but that's... see my crafty fingers <laughs> it was lovely <laughs> I think
1: our friend Tiffany who was on an episode mm-hmm. last season I think she said she tries to read it quarterly
0: it's so smart it's a good reminder
1: yeah because we lose it I listened to that book over the summer and I don't remember anything no <laughs> it's all gone <laughs> There are a couple things that really stick with me. One is, I say this a lot too, with us, decisions we've made for the business of Viola Centric and with Ninth Street, my partners in that, you ask yourself what it is that is your highest contribution and every single individual person has something different to answer for that. And so when we made the choice to start editing, and by the way, now might be a good time to mention Mm -hmm. that we have started working with the podcast ninja, Leah Bryant, who is a fantastic editor and producer. And I think it was an essentialist decision that was made where we got to December. And as all of you know, I've been editing the podcast myself with Steph's help in production since the very beginning. And with our schedules returning to somewhat normal, it just wasn't feasible anymore. So we made the choice to invest in getting a partner to help us out with that aspect of it. And it's been so great. The shift was immediate. I don't know how it felt for you, Steph, but at least on my end, I felt like I had room in my brain to just start focusing on the creative aspects of our business
0: again. And it's been so refreshing. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Leah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Leah. We do appreciate you. But it's freed up your brain to do a lot of extra planning, which we have some exciting things that are coming Yes, up, we do. Actually. Yep. So a little teaser. We are going to be going live on Tuesday night, which is the night after this podcast comes out. It's March 8th. Yep. And it's going to be all about setup. So if you're a string player and you've been thinking at some point in all of our careers, we reevaluate what shoulder pad we're using, what chin rest, how our instrument is set up and it's all adjustable which is wonderful, but you might be confused as to like the right place to start. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be having Claire Stefani who is a setup expert mm-hmm. and she's going to be talking to us with the founders of the Arc Rest, Tigran and Aaron and talking with us and anybody who tunes in live on Tuesday night at 7 US Eastern. Yeah. And so you can ask any questions that you have, shoot them our way via social, DM us, email us, and we'll ask them. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. And we're really excited
1: because it's something new, mm-hmm. get to do something new. And I love that we're sort of returning to that because last year, everything was new for us. we were trying all these different things. And this year, we've really gotten into a groove with the podcast, but now trying these new things going to be really
0: fun. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be another live event, actually, for anybody who wants to come to the AVS convention, the American Viola Society convention, which is going to be in June. Mm -hmm. We're going to be there. Mm -hmm. And we are actually going to be doing a late night event on the Saturday night at a cafe nearby. So come and see that if you're there. Yeah.
1: We just did some early brainstorming on what we're going to offer. And both of us were getting really excited about it because it's going to be fun. Having an opportunity to take what we're doing to a group of people live, that's a big first. And it's something we really are excited about exploring more of. So yeah, that's gonna be fun. So if you are a violist or a vendor who wants to work with violists, consider joining us down in Georgia at the American Viola Society this year. Well, we have an incredible guest for you today, Adriana Linares, who is a fantastic violist. She lives in the Philadelphia area, and she's a member of the Dali Quartet and started an organization called Arconet. It's sort of this umbrella organization for all of these different things, chamber music and youth orchestra and practice boot camps. It just feels like the possibilities are sort of endless there. She's so thoughtful about the human relationship piece, I think, of music making. And that is what I don't know for you, Steph, that's what really stuck out for me in our conversation that kept coming
0: up over
1: and over again.
0: Oh, yeah. And how it seems like the foundation of that whole piece is the sense of community that her students and the people who work under that umbrella feel. And that that is like the most important thing. And the music that comes out of it is almost like a byproduct. Yeah. Of all that lovely like relationship building that they do there. Yeah. This just feels like such a great thread to follow,
1: you know, just such a great thing to lean on and to understand more deeply. I think at any level, whether you're teaching students or you're thinking about the relationship you have to music and your colleagues yourself, it's not just about the music that you're learning. It's about what's happening around
0: you with the people around you. Mm-hmm. with yourself, understanding yourself. Oh, and it was really cool to hear and to realize how this is probably why chamber music is so enticing to us all. Mm-hmm. Because you have to have a close relationship with your quartet mates in order to produce a sound, Yes. in order to move together, in order to make decisions, in order to fight together. And it's just a microcosm of like the ideal relationship that we could have in music. Totally. Actually, this reminds
1: me, I had meant to
0: talk about this because it was such a
1: really impactful experience. But a couple weekends ago, my quartet, we had a concert and then we did a big clinic day with the youth musicians that are part of our program. And one of those things was a masterclass with the Moreau Quartet. And it was amazing to me because very similarly, this is a quartet that tours a hundred concerts a year, they mentor young quartets. they live in that space a hundred percent and the majority of the advice they gave and the way they talked was just basically in support of one another. If someone has an issue, it's everyone else's job to help support that person. If someone needs to shine, they let that person shine. And we're talking about as specific as show up to a rehearsal, somebody's having a bad day. They just have a bad day and they're allowed to have a bad day. And the rest of the group supports them. Or in the music, if it's technically difficult, this blew my mind, actually. The cellist of the group was talking about how sometimes there will be a part in a piece of music where it's hard on the bottom and then you have to kind of do a quick transition to the top. The rest of the quartet will notice those things and say, "Okay, this is a tricky spot. How do we support him in the music so that he can be his best self? isn't that an incredible shift rather than being like, oh, this person in my group is like having a hard time with this part. And it's really frustrating because it's it's not going the way we want it to go. That's our default to shift that to like, actually, we're all fantastic musicians. So if someone's having a hard time, like, let's figure out how to support Mm -hmm. them. Amazing, amazing to me. And it's all about the human aspect Mm -hmm. of it.
0: It's about collaboration over competition. Yes. Yes. It's about, yes, yes, yes. I was gonna say socialism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we haven't referenced ourselves as a socialist podcast in a little while.
0: Maybe we say time. that kind of tongue-in cheek. Obviously, we understand the benefits of capitalism. And <laughs> yeah, there's benefits, and it's a very social yes. type of endeavor to be like we rise together. That's right. We're only as strong as the weakest link. That's right. But yeah, Adriana, fantastic. I loved hearing her Mm -hmm. story about how Mm -hmm. she came to the United States and the challenges she faced and things that we don't even realize about our own culture that are wacky. Hearing her viewpoint on how to build a successful program for kids, how to- build a successful chamber music. It's just so natural to her because that comes from her culture. Yeah. And there's a lot we can learn from
1: that. Oh, yeah. Especially considering Venezuela is the birthplace of El Sistema. And there's just, that is a different mindset. That's a great point to have that perspective of coming here and building what she's built. It's very, very cool.
0: Well, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Adriana Linares. We are all busy, especially those of us who teach music. We give everything to ensure our students' abilities and love of music are always growing and developing. We want to make sure each one has the right setup and instrument, but we barely have enough time to practice for ourselves sometimes.
1: That's where Potter Violins can come in. Their sales team and technicians are also players and experts on all string things. You can send your students to try instruments, get properly sized, have their current instruments adjusted, or to pick out a new bow or other string accessory. You can have total confidence that they'll be taken
0: care of. Potters will even ship what your students need anywhere in the United States. So take one thing off your plate and send your students over to Potter Violins, no matter what they need. And Potter Violins loves teachers so much, they want to offer you a 10% teacher's discount because you deserve it.
1: Visit their flagship location in Tacoma Park, Maryland, their rental location in Gaithersburg, Maryland, or shop online from anywhere at potterviolence.com. As you know by now, we are thrilled to be sponsored by The ArtGrest. They're a small business based in Rochester, New York, and one that we are proud to support. Aaron and Tigran literally started the company in their home workshop and continue to manufacture each ArcRest by hand and mail them out personally to every customer.
0: And because they're a small business, they're now able to offer a new option just for you, customization. Now you can get your new ArcRest base with a favorite color, a pattern, or even a photo to make it unique to you.
1: Yes, imagine a family or pet photo, your favorite sports team's colors, or your orchestra's logo on your Arcrest. Head over to our Instagram for a photo of our own customized bases, And you can also visit thearcrest.com to see some more examples. Really, the possibilities are endless.
0: And you can feel confident knowing that your purchase is supporting the actual people who design and will be making your new shoulder pad with their own hands. Find their products at thearcrest.com. That's T-H-E-A-R-C-R-E-S-T.com.
1: Venezuelan violist Adriana Linares is one of today's most talented Latin American artists. Her playing has been called meltingly beautiful by Naxos label reviewers, the founding violist of the award-winning Dali Quartet. She's also a soloist, educator, and freelancer like us. Adriana is the president, founder, and artistic director of Arconet, the arts and community network a nonprofit organization based in North Wales, Pennsylvania. She has launched many programs under the umbrella of Arconet, including a string academy with 120 students, a youth and chamber orchestra, intensive solo boot camps, the Dali Quartet International Music Festival, community outreach partnerships, college prep programs, junior string competitions, and preschool programs, among other things. Adriana also currently serves on the faculty of Westchester University as part of the Dali Quartet residency. Personally, Adriana and I go way back as she was in her master's program when I started my undergrad at Temple University. And from the first time I ever saw you play, Adriana, you know, I was like a total fangirl. So (laughs) we're so excited to welcome you to the viola centric podcast.
2: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. This is gonna be fun. Yes. Three violas girls. I know. Oh my goodness. Talking. Oh, this is dangerous.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We both thought it might be really interesting for you to share a little bit about your experience growing up in Venezuela and then coming over here to the United States. Of course, yeah. So I was born in Venezuela in Caracas,
2: the capital, and I was so lucky to have gone to a wonderful school founded by a Czech violinist slash philosopher. He was not a philosopher; he was a doctor in philosophy. This school was founded as a Kinder Music, and then it was so successful. That he continued all the way until high school. Because he was a violinist himself, he actually studied with Sefchik. He was amazing. Wow. Whoa, I know, I know. <laughs>
0: that's a family
2: tree. <laughs> Can you imagine having a school with somebody that's highly academically trained and also a very fine violinist? Yeah. So you would go from like math and science to like chamber music or orchestra rehearsal or choral music was immersed, not just in a typical way. So my mom, especially, she really wanted me to get into that school. And I didn't play an instrument at the beginning. I was actually enrolled in dance. Mm. Like I was more of a dancer. I think it was second grade that I ended up enrolling in violin lessons. And of course, make the story short, growing up in an environment with a director like that, actually the mission of the school, there's no culture without a musical It, it, in Spanish, it's different it, they use the word education. No hay, no hay cultura sin cultura musical. There's no mm. culture or education without musical education. So anyway, I was part of the chorus. I was part of the ballet. I was part of the orchestra. And right about when I was 14, there was a girl in my school that played the viola. And finally, she had a solo. In, in the orchestra. And I never got to hear the viola as a solo instrument. Oh, that was something about the sound that really caught my attention. Somehow the director found out like that I was interested and he's like, here's a viola. Why don't you play around with it? You don't have to switch yet. We'll get you some lessons. And I was hooked. <laughs> so of course, then I switched to viola and it's like, all of a sudden, not that I wasn't doing well in violin, I was fine, but all these doors started to open when I switched to viola. Mm. And then I started to get a little bit more serious about considering to be a violist. This quartet that I was in, I was like, oh, I like this thing where I'm not alone. Because I would get a little kind of nervous when I had to do solo recitals. I didn't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Ooh, too much butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> I get a little bit too scared. Although I do like speaking and all that. And I didn't mind acting. Playing viola alone was not my thing. Yeah. And so, but then when I was in the quartet, I'm like, oh, but you still hear me? But I'm kind of like with others too. So at 15, I remember being in this quartet and thinking, I like this combination, you know. Then I started to get a little bit more serious about considering to do this as a major in college. And at the time, they did not have a degree in Venezuela for music performance. Of course, Venezuela has an incredible tradition of classical music. We all already know that through El Sistema and Gustavo Dudamel, like, we were put on the map. But at that time in the 90s, even though that was a very strong movement, there was no such degree. You wouldn't go to a school to get a bachelor's in music performance. So that's how the idea of coming to the United States came, because I was like, oh, wow, you could go to a school where you can actually get a degree in what you love. Oh, that's great. Mm. Another opportunity came my senior year with violinist by the name of Andres Cardenas. He used to be the concertmaster of the Pittsburgh Symphony. They would fly him three times a year, along with other musicians that they would bring down to my school. And it's like, by the way, what are your plans for next year? You know, are you planning to go to any school? What's going on? like, yeah, I'm going to the school with a professor from and Oh, no, no, no. Why don't you come to the school where I teach? I've got this amazing violist that's going to start teaching this year. His name is Atar Arad. I'm like, oh, you mean is the guy from the only CD I own? It's like, oh, oh study studying with this guy. <laughs>
1: okay, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's how I ended up coming to the United States. I assume you moved here for college and then you stayed, right? We stayed. Yeah, it's been quite a few years. <laughs> I just
2: now recently got my citizenship, which I made a post on Facebook. And I couldn't believe how many people are commenting in like, sorry, it's a little bit of a shallow comment about like, Instagram or Facebook, but I was really happy to see how much support everybody's like, Oh, my God, welcome to the United States. I'm like, it's been 27 years. But I'll still take the compliments and the
1: welcome. I think it's a big deal. I mean, to get your citizenship, you have to go through
0: a lot of steps. You probably know more about the United States than we know about the United States.
2: Oh, girls, I had to study a lot. I was worried because you have to study 100 questions. And some of them are kind of obvious, but some of them you have to look up and you cannot just show up. But it ended up being fine. I made cards, (laughs) study cards. I got an app to study and both my kids tested me as much as we could. I'm like, mom, you're fine. You're fine. I'm like, okay, okay. What if I panic? Because, you know, I haven't been tested in. I just had like high school trauma, like about like yeah, madness. Right. I'm like, what if I failed? Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, <if> I passed.
1: <laughs> Yay. Funny story. My mom is still a Canadian citizen, even though she moved here when she was like six years old or something. And has just never gone through that process. So it is a big deal. Congratulations. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Thank you for having me in this country after 27 years. That was their no, trial. Period. It was funny. and <laughs> Now you have tenure. Oh, that's funny. We had another joke about, you know how my name is in, in Spanish, you say Adriana. Uh-huh. But I forget what that sounds like because nobody calls me
1: Adriana. Everyone calls you Adriana. Adriana.
2: So I'm like, posing hey, everybody, my formal name out, Adriana. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we Americanized your name.
2: Sorry. I'm so used to it. Nobody calls me Adriana. Like, that's just how it
0: is. I'm totally American now.
1: <laughs> you are absolutely.
0: But that brings up an interesting point that you came from Venezuela and you moved here. And even with summers at Interlochen, there still must have been like, the culture shock of actually living here and being in America? What was that adjustment like?
2: First thing is the language. I knew I had studied in my high school, like you guys take languages. So I spoke sort of well. But when people would speak back to me, wow, okay, what what are they saying? So that's the first thing, because I'm a pretty Uh social person, like I like to talk. And not being able to understand what people were saying. But, you know, that took maybe a few months. So at the beginning, but it was definitely the language. Culturally speaking, there were a few adjustments. We are more direct when we speak. And I noticed immediately that with American culture, there are more steps to communicating. I remember my first year, I had one girl... That was older than me another violist that told me sometimes you just have to be careful with not being too straight when you speak just to give you an example pass me that we say in Spanish pass me that thing or you're gonna order food and you say give me the salad mm-hmm. that's just how we say it in English that's rude like you say may I have you know or can you pass me this and, and so that language That was an adjustment. Sometimes it like shocks me from my friends or my my family that when they switch to English, it's still like that. So that language definitely that was an adjustment. What else? I mean, food? (laughs) Don't get me to talk about food. But other than that, like I had a lot of Mexican friends, Puerto Rican friends, Colombian friends, Brazilian friends. And even though I had a ton of my teachers and friends that were American or European, you just kind of Look for what makes you comfortable, and I did have a nice set of friends. I belong in. They called it the Salsa House. This is a Carnegie Mellon first, and then when I went to Indiana, I noticed that it was so much bigger. And so finding the Latino community was harder because everybody was kind of isolated. Like the Venezuelans were with the Venezuelans, the Puerto Ricans were with the Puerto, the Mexicans were with the Mexicans. And so, oh, I was like, oh no, I don't like this. I liked it when we were all together because Carnegie Mellon was a lot smaller and I got to hang out with like people from other countries rather than not just Venezuelans. So I think that helped the transition because when you have friends that would listen to the same music and spoke the same language, they like the same food. Even though I was here mm-hmm. adjusting to the culture because I, I think I adjusted pretty fast, I still had that little group of people that would make me feel um, at home.
1: Oh, this is a great question then to ask how it is that you got with the little Venezuelan crew that I know, which would be Carlos and Romulo. And we're getting into the Dali quartet history, which I always love hearing about string quartets and how they come together. And actually, it's just dawning on me that you are our first dedicated chamber musician that we've had on the podcast right Steph I don't think we've really gotten into like yeah the aspects of a chamber music career I would love to hear your perspectives on how you guys came together this is a marriage Yeah, this
2: is 20 years at least with Carlos because we weren't in another quartet before Ah, okay it's been more than 20 years wow yeah that's a marriage (laughs) talk about getting to know people working I mean it's it's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. Like I I to say 20 years is almost a half of my life yeah. playing with the same people. So with a quartet, like I said like when I was 14 15 and I had that experience at the school, I just knew that there was something about playing chamber music playing quartet that really resonated with me, it clicked with me. It's like I'm alone but not really. I'm with people but not many people. So in school I had the last year at Indiana University, they have this thing called the Kutner Quartet Program, which is if you win with your quartet, you don't play an orchestra, you just devote to quartet playing. So I had that quartet and I get a phone call from Carlos, who I had met in Venezuela briefly because he was a teacher at that school that I was telling you about. Ah, okay. But we weren't friends or anything. And and he said, look, we're looking for a violist for our, all Venezuelan quartet. We live in Cincinnati. You're in Bloomington. I don't know what plans you have. Would you be interested in auditioning? And we're also, by the way, looking for a cellist. So the cellist of my quartet at Indiana was also Venezuelan. Mm. So we just pretty much married the two quartets and made the quartet that they had. It was called Quarteto America, all Venezuelans. And that was in the Midwest. I was with them for about a year and a half, but part of me also didn't want to commit to an early career just quartet. Uh, although I was passionate about it, I wanted to give the whole idea of the getting an orchestra job yep. uh, and training myself, in, uh, I wanted to give that a, a chance. So that's how I ended up in Philly and when I met you, because I was too old to audition to Curtis. They had a cut at the time. I don't know if people know, but like it used to be that Curtis had a cut in age. If you were over 23, they don't have that anymore. They don't have that anymore. Oh, okay. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I managed to make it work so that I would still study with Diaz. Oh, nice. It wasn't like public thing. You, it's not like they advertise that kind of thing. But Temple was really good about if you were interested in a certain teacher, they would help out the connection. And remember Mr. Biava, Maestro Biava? Of course. Um, oh, my God. he was. Sweet I miss boy. him. Oh, he's, he was amazing. So yeah. it, it, it worked out. Somehow it worked out. Yeah. And I went through all the excerpts possible. And I did what I had to do to learn them all. And I was happy about that. And I said, well, I'll take an audition because that's what I'm supposed to do because I, I'm studying this. And that was the Harrisburg Symphony audition. It was my first and last audition.
0: <laughs> wow, you have a really good success rate. 100% actually. She spent a thousand.
2: <laughs> but anyway, so that's how I got to Philly. But then when I was done, I called Carlos. It's like, I just don't want to do the quartet thing. And I, I miss that the whole idea of being a quartet of all Latinos or like at least Venezuelan, and whatever. It's nice. I love working with anyone. But when you really hit it off with somebody, I think that's the base of anything mm-hmm. else that you'll do because mm-hmm. things will come up. Of course, this is not a perfect relationship. But the fact that you have such a good ground and on personal terms, then it will make your workspace much more manageable because who wants to work with people that you don't get along? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah. You want to work with people that you know that you can resolve and you can get along and, and enjoy each other's company. So anyway, we knew that. We knew that we liked working together. And we had a common vision of forming a group that not only had Latino representation, but also would explore repertoire from South America and from Spain that many people at that time might have not been aware of. Yeah. nowadays 20 years later I do have to say there's so much more awareness there's more exposure but still we wanted to carry that flag of like this is who we are we grew up with this music we speak the language we look like this we feel confident about what we can bring to audiences and let's do it yeah so he moved here with nothing wow we got a sort of like a collaboration with a, a local school he got into the freelancing world with Harrisburg and, you know, all this stuff. And so then it was time to have auditions for the group. We did have the first violinist of the Harlem Quartet. Ilmar Gavilan was our first violinist mm-hmm. at the very beginning. He was with us for one season. And then Romulo, who, you know, he joined us on our second season. So at that time, we were all Venezuelan. And, and you know Daniel, he was our first cellist. Oh, I need yes. to tell you, he was the cellist yep, of, of course. my team quartet in the high school
1: oh yeah oh. wait at school
2: at school at that school yeah oh you two have been friends since school I love that that's why like it doesn't get old with Daniel and I I don't know if you ever it's like how oh yes, you really yes. Talk to somebody that you've known for 30
0: years
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that
0: I think this all goes back to you know how you were saying earlier that chamber musicians are among the most happy professions it's because you get to choose who you work with. And because the relationship is such a vital like backbone of it, you have to be able to work together. You have to be able to fight. It's like a marriage. So these are people who you choose as your co-workers for a very specific reason.
2: Exactly. And what amazes me is that there's always just something new. I don't even know how we manage. Well, you know, Carlos. Yes. Liz. Even Yesterday, we just had a concert at Westchester University. Like, something always will come up. It's like, oh my God, it just these guys are so funny. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's like humor that we have going on or we're just happy that we're making this happen. Yeah. It's like this vibe all the time. Yeah. It's like, my God, we're. And I have to say, our new first violinist, okay, he's amazing. He is the most grateful person that I've oh, ever met. Grateful, is that the word? That's mm-hmm. a good word. Yeah. yeah. We'll start a piece and he's like, Aren't we lucky that we're playing this? I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you're right. Or like, finish a phrase like, wow, that sounded beautiful. I'm like, really? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he, there's this, this sense of gratitude all the time. Oh, that's
1: lovely. I am
2: not exaggerating. And and even though we have that, it's been a while. I mean, we don't tell each other all, oh, although we should. We don't tell each other, oh, you sound great. Like but our new member, he refreshed a little bit of that uh, vibe. Oh my goodness. I've never met anybody like that. Just reminds you how lucky you are that we are getting to play. We were playing Schubert Quintet.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Just celebrating everything that happens to us. So working like that with people like that, it just makes your life, your work way easier. Sweet guy. Oh my goodness.
1: I love that. I think gratitude is something that you can practice. And it sounds like it's a very significant part of his life. And then he's able to see mm-hmm. it everywhere. It's so good to have someone around that can remind you of that. That's like a real light to have. And just to clarify, Daniel is not the cellist anymore, right?
2: We've had Jesus, Danielle had to move to Cleveland at the time. Jesus has been with us for about 13 years now, since yeah, 2008. Wow. A amazing. Long time, a lot of years.
1: <laughs> yeah, that world of string quartet is just so amazing to me we had Moreau Quartet come and work with my program. One of the things that Moreau said to us was that it took them about five years to like really establish themselves as a quartet. And then the relationship just built from there. And they mentor a lot of quartets. This idea that longevity and building the relationship among those people in the group is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I mean, it's essential to the music that you produce. And I just find myself so in love with that idea that in a way it's more about the relationship building with these musicians than it is like having the most rock star musicians in the group, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely. I think something that we should emphasize more in our upbringing or our education, it's the importance of human connection and relationships. Because if you think about it, that's everything, not just in chamber music, but, oh my goodness, I was following this Argentinian educator that talks about emotional intelligence and emotional education. Why are we not emphasized enough the importance of the way you relate to others? It's what's going to define everything in your life. Not only I mean, the jobs that you have, the relationships that last in your life, because everything is about that. Think about it. In a quartet in an orchestra, in a company, in your family, everything is about the way you relate with others. So because maybe we're so focused on the craft or just learning how to play and all this, of course, I'm not asking music school to give you psychology lessons or mental health, but hey, if you get me started on this topic- Why not? not? Maybe
1: they should (laughs) be doing
2: that. I find myself with the college students, especially college and pre-college, mentoring and talking about the importance of being able to yes respond to other people be able to work with Mm -hmm. other people be able to adjust to other people because guess what that's going to define your whole career there's not enough emphasis on that because we're so occupied on getting the good grades or making the right notes or getting as many competitions in hey what about your mental state being stable so that then you can be able to relate to others and work well with others? Yeah, that's a sensitive topic. I could go on forever, but I think that is so important.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of repair work to be done, honestly, because these last couple of years have been so disconnected. And these kids, I mean, even my kids, being out of the social environment, being out of school is really affected them in ways that I really couldn't have seen at the beginning of this whole pandemic. Mm -hmm. And you are right. I think it's gonna have far-reaching impact and we have a lot of work to do to teach these kids how to connect with other people again.
2: One of the things that we do at Arconet, the organization that I run, just because I am really interested in having people just be able to connect at the simplest level, Mm -hmm. The first few days, I asked them to sit next to somebody that they don't know. And then as we're killing time to before we start a session or a rehearsal or a presentation, they got to go through all the basics, just ask their Mm -hmm. favorite food, where they went in the summer. And like, just I I find myself teaching this, but it needs to be taught because somehow this new generation, not only after the pandemic, but also because of the phones and all this stuff the most basic connecting levels it's lacking so i was like just ask people what if they like pizza or where they like the pizza better Aww. and then and then you you hear the noise i'm like oh this is music to my ears i just love hearing the noise chatty 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 and then okay next day somebody different and then by the time you're done with a festival or with a camp whatever it was that we were uh-huh. they all know who they are and, and i've gotten comments like wow, this is the first camp that I go to that I actually know everybody's name. Oh, my goodness. Forget the music. Music is important and Mm -hmm. we're going to nail this quartet. I love that you walked out of here feeling like you belong somewhere and somebody knew your name. And that's power right there. This connecting thing, especially after the pandemic, people were Desperate. I I see even in in the supermarkets. It's like, how are you? Oh, Mm. how's your day Mm. going? Like, oh, that's very sweet to ask. Well, it's going great. How about yours? (laughs) Like, like (laughs) people really need to talk and connect. Yeah, that's true. Yes, you're right, Steph. This generation. I mean, I'm generalizing, you know, but it's something that needs to be addressed.
1: Oh, it's really interesting. We talk about this often that the pandemic was sort of an accelerator for a lot of change in many ways. And I wonder if the reason that this feels so important now, and also such a challenge for kids, is that piece you brought up having a piece of technology in front of you that's just a source of entertainment all the time, and why people our age didn't necessarily need classes Mm -hmm. on how to interact with other humans, because really, that's what we did. Mm -hmm. In school, there wasn't that thing pulling us away from the humans sitting right in front of us. And I don't think that socialization is the same as it was, but to your point Adriana about what happens when you put a bunch of kids together and you're just like, okay, now talk to each other, like do a thing. They connect with each other and you see it. Mm-hmm. And it's natural. Human connection is this mm-hmm. thing that creates so much joy. We don't realize that that's what we're experiencing. I'm just thinking about it more and more. Right? And maybe the reason we have to discuss these things as educators and for institutions is because there's something that is literally pulling us away mm-hmm. from each other, even when we're in the same room. And we have to actively work to overcome that, actually. Because it's not going away. It's
2: everywhere, even my mom and my dad, <laughs> like now, like the other day, I was like, what's going on? Like, we're we here. Why is everybody on their phone? Like, no. Yeah,
1: it's us too. Right. I mean, we have to actually practice putting the phone away <laughs> in order to be present with something. It's work. And it's just part of life now. It is a problem. I think the more activities that we do
2: in person, or now that we are able to do that Or even if it was through Zoom, I must say that Zoom saved my life during the pandemic. Same. The fact that I could see my friends, Monday is Gabby, Tuesday is Melissa, Wednesday is my mom, Mm -hmm. Thursday, and after teaching over Zoom, okay, let's just grab some wine or get Mm -hmm. tea, whatever, and then just see each other's face. And I must say that just being able to talk with other people and to see other people, even through the computer, was vital. Of course, nothing needs in-person technology. Good. It's great. We use it, but we need to rethink about how much. And they're now seeing all this these effects. Oh my goodness. A friend of mine was telling me about the effects of the blue light on the brain actually resting. And you know how important, sorry, I talk about this a lot, but how important sleeping well is. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. It's like one of my little things. If you sleep well, your life goes better, period. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. we're not going to lie. Everybody like, okay, you just rest for a second and you just go to your phone. I found myself doing that in Florida, in which I was enjoying the sun and the water as much as I could. But it's like- even in the beach, I'm like, looking at my phone, like, no, (laughs) it's much nicer to look at the sun. Why am I looking at my phone right now? Why do I care about Instagram and what people are doing? I've got water in front of me and the 75 degrees, you know, (laughs) anyway, anyway, it's gonna get better.
0: So we're talking about bringing the joys of music to kids, and helping them in the same way that your school in Venezuela helped you to discover music and your love for music. So could you talk a little bit about Arconet and how you started it and what you see its mission as being. So
2: when the quartet started back in 2004, that same year, we decided with Carlos, let's do number one, a concert series. And number two, let's do a local chamber music camp. The time was not even a festival, it's just like a small camp. And we probably got, I tell this story all the time, we probably got like 11 kids. And we had to form groups with them so we could make it work and make it in like into or and quartets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it happened. It was better than not doing anything. And we produced concert series that I remember that I never understood the importance of audience development, because maybe about 15 people showed up to the first concert. I'm like, oh my god, how do you make this happen? <laughs> like, Nobody taught me this in school. <laughs> oh, okay. I have to hit five hundred people, so only fifty come. But anyway, that's stuff that you learn on the job. <laughs> mm-hmm. I never took a class <laughs> that told you how to develop audiences or you know market yourself or and so forth. So that was the first year, and the second year that we did the camp, more kids came. We, I had a strategy. I had more experience, uh, kind of recruiting, and uh, so every year just it kept getting bigger and better. And by the fourth or fifth year, a lot of these parents and these kids are wanting to not just do this thing in the summer. Some of them actually are like, can we take lessons with you in the year? Or can we play together during the new year? So the idea of making a program a little bit more formalized came up. And like I said, every year got bigger and better. And then if I would travel to like Venezuela or Puerto Rico or Brazil, I would just mention, oh, I have a camp, or, oh, can we go? Or, oh, I have a program. Oh, can I go visit you? So it started to get more international. As of this year, it's been 10 years, which with my husband, we had the idea to branch out into our own nonprofit. So that all these programs that I had started to create now would be under the umbrella of the same thing. So my husband was key in this whole process because it's like, what are we? I'm not really a school. I'm not a program. What are we? We're kind of like a community of people. It's not just students. It's like all this faculty and then people from other countries. What, what's happening here? So the words network came. It's more about community and being at places where we all come together and it's not just music because it's cultural too. So culture is important. I love that. And it's not just music. It's like the mm. arts in general. So all those words were swimming. And then one day my husband is like, arts, community, network, arco, net. Arconet. ar-conet. <laughs> <laughs> like, and arco means ball in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my God. Uh-huh. It was brilliant. brilliant. There it was <laughs> so that's how like the whole idea came, and it's like, what's our mission? Well, you know, it's clearly diversity, community engagement, education, performance, and that's sort of like the keywords of the organization. And now this year, it's ten years of the birth of that nonprofit, two thousand twenty-two.
0: Happy anniversary! Thank you. Wow. Yeah, we were just thinking.
2: The festival and the quartet, like I said, started before, and we were affiliated to another school. But this year, we are 10 years of the nonprofit status that we got. And we have a board of directors. We have small staff. We have about 12 teachers on staff right now. And funny enough, most of them are my former students, (laughs) except for the quartet. The quartet uh, players like Jesus and other faculty, a lot of the teachers now are people that went through Arconet and they're like in their 20s or 30s and they're teaching with us. And then we've got a number of programs. Of course, the, the festival, which was a camp at the time, became not just a chamber music camp. It's like it became a music festival. So we changed the name to the Liquartet International Music Festival. We've got about 120 people or so, that, like you mentioned, in the string lesson program, kind of like an academy. And then we've got the youth orchestra which is made up of kids that take lessons with us, or it could be anybody as long as they take lessons. We've got the boot camps, like you mentioned, which are like retreats for auditions and but they end up being more like a talk about mental health. Like a it's little, <laughs> it, it becomes like me being Oprah or like <laughs> and then it's like, okay, tell me your problems or we'll try to fix it. <laughs> but
0: we need that. And yeah. I'm
2: telling you, we need more of that. I mean, not that we don't give musical advice or tips for an auditions and all that, but it's like the mental state and the emotional state is so important. Yes. And we've got kids saying, like, oh my goodness, I love every time I go to the boot camp because you leave feeling like great. And so if you feel great, you'll play great. That's, <laughs> yes.
1: that's how it is. Yes. It's,
2: it's all about that. The way you interpret what happens to you, it's the way you're going to end up feeling, and the way you feel really defines. Every single thing that, that goes your day goes by or your auditions. And so that mental stage, it's really addressed in the boot camps. We've got Daniel Pereira, my friend. He conducts a daily workshop on mindfulness and mental health. And Good. it's it's part of the curriculum. It, yeah. What happens with Arconet is like because you have more control, I have more control of what, what I would like to bring to the students. It's everything that I think it's lacking, then we put it in. Like mental health and awareness and social development and culturally, because I can't really do that in other settings, but because we've created this community that allows us to do that and the board is on board (laughs) all the time on on what we produce, what kind of programming we want to bring to the communities and not just only the communities here. We've got, oh my goodness, there were years where we brought students from Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, they would move here. I don't have that program anymore after COVID, but we used to have it. They moved here for uh, us to help them get to their next stage and mentoring. We've got, I mean, it's a lot going on. Amazing. Yeah.
0: It's also addressing all the needs that the kids have. Just our whole conversation today, it really feels like it's just focused in on this idea that what we need is Mm -hmm. more community here. The human connection. That's exactly what you're doing with your program. It's like all encompassing. It's the whole student. It's a community of music, not just come to your, you know, youth orchestra practice on Wednesday nights. It's meet the other people in the program with you. And that really is a microcosm of what we all need, I think, is just more of a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what we're not talking about? We're not
1: currently talking about the repertoire that you give these kids or the technical experience that you give Mm -hmm. them, because that's Mm -hmm. a given, you know, those Mm -hmm. things are going to be Mm -hmm. there in a music program. It's all of the other elements that are so, so important that have been ignored for so long. Yeah. No. And the the funny thing is
2: that when you're in this process, I was not thinking, oh, I want to create a community where everybody gets along and they like to be like you don't plan those things. That's just how I want to live. And the thing is that I now notice how much of what you do is modeled just by doing not by saying. So the hardest thing that I have as a marketer, like, I don't know how to market these things, because it is true that you're not just coming for the music lesson, we're now thinking, What is it that we have created? And we did have a clear idea of what we wanted, but all these other factors are kicking in that make that experience just that much better. And honestly, nowadays, what we want is every experience to contribute to who we are. And it's to me, it's all about the experience. It's not just like, do I come to a concert? and I'm, I'm going to listen to Hyde, and No, I come to a concert and then I'm going to meet the artist after. And then we're going to go out afterwards yes. with some of us and, and grab a drink. And it's like, oh, that whole experience, you know? Yes. You know what I mean? Like when you were asking in the prompts that you mm-hmm. mentioned about, like, where do you want to see the music feel going? I think I would love more of what we're trying to do in general, because I, I love an experience yeah. as humans. We will remember more of that kind of thing. Like I've had kids. Oh yeah. I love when we did that camp that year. And, and then like we ate our yeah. in the break. <laughs> yes, I'm like, Oh, so you true. remember <laughs> that part? <laughs> they, remember, they remember what we ate and not Mozart. <laughs> no, I mean, just kidding. They should, my remember, life. they should remember <laughs> the Mozart, but you know what I mean? The, like our brain makes connections. In different ways, but it's interesting what people will remember. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the one concert where you guys stood up and started dancing to the music. Mm -hmm. That's what you remember from people. That's great. Mm -hmm. So it's all about those experiences. I think, you know, not just the music itself.
1: Mm -hmm. I could go on this forever.
0: (laughs) I love it. There's been so many wonderful things that we've talked about today.
1: Oh, I know. I feel like we could go on forever. (laughs) I wish we could. I think it's really going back to this chamber music concept of relationship and how can we foster that in all of these areas of a career in music and help. I don't know, maybe there's a way for the orchestral community to embrace that a little Mm -hmm, bit too. mm -hmm, Like maybe mm -hmm. we can shift that mentality even in the places where people struggle the most, because I, I think that's important to mention is it's about struggle. It's negativity bias is more natural than a positive one. And so it's all work. And the more people who commit to that work, I, I think it's just brilliant. And yeah, yeah. And you really set a model. I'm so glad we had you on. And I feel like we're gonna have to have you on again, because I feel oh. like we only really scratched the surface. Like
2: my mom and my husband said, don't give her a microphone. It's just dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. I'll, I mean, you just... and me both, girl. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my. I can't wait until next week. We can continue. <laughs> yeah.
1: We'll do an Instagram live, like we're still talking. No, this is great.
2: <laughs> you guys, this is great that you're doing this. Congrats you. to you both. When I saw it, I'm, yes. I'm like, Oh, what a fun yes. thing to do. We need to go on the layers of things that are not necessarily discussed, you know, with our, in our classroom, of course, or like our mentors. And I think the more of this awareness that we create among the educators, the people that are on the lead right now. It's funny that you were saying about the chamber musician. That's kind of like my, if I have adopted a philosophy in life, like you were asking, is this chamber music collaborative approach that there's always this negotiation that you have to always listen. As a violist, we have always have to listen to everybody before you say something. You become hyper aware of what's happening because you need to listen to your surroundings. You negotiate, you adjust mm-hmm. because it's never perfect. So you need to just constantly move the finger. If this is like, you know, so those are life skills that if you think of it in, in philosophy as what a quartet is, Or, what a chamber musician is like. It's life values that carry through upbringing, through your growth, through your education. That I think the more we can emphasize those.
0: Mm. So, oh, yes, Mm. all the yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you,
1: Adriana, so much. Of
0: course, you guys were great. Thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you so much for listening today. And thanks also to our Season
0: 2 sponsors, Arcrest and Potter Violin another thanks to alto clef gifts where you can purchase viola centric shirts and mugs and a variety of other fun items featuring our beloved alto clef
1: the viola centric theme music was written and produced by jp wogeman and is performed by steph and myself you can support our future episodes by supporting our sponsors through our paypal link or venmo and by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and please consider sharing your favorite episodes with your music loving friends
0: thanks again for listening let's talk soon